Before we jump into our text, uh, chapter 9 through 10, 18, we're going to, we need to go backwards. Uh, and in fact, we're going all the way to the beginning, back to Genesis, back to Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, we read this. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Prior to the fall, prior to Adam and Eve disobeying God, prior to sin, they were naked and were unashamed. Uh, They didn't even have a concept of good and evil, of right and wrong. To them, everything was good. Uh, they They viewed themselves as innocent. And as a result... Uh, They had no shame, and they had a personal relationship with God. They walked with God in the garden, talked face to face. There was nothing uh, to make them uneasy about that because they were naked and unashamed. They were innocent. The world was their oyster. Now, God had told them, uh, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. But beyond that, uh, they could do anything. And so they just, they were innocent, they had no shame, they had a personal relationship with God. It was awesome, and that was the way it was meant to be. But unfortunately, the, sat, uh, the uh, Satan in the form of a serpent tempted them, uh, and they disobeyed God. They reached out, and they each took a bite of the forbidden fruit. And in chapter 3, verse 7, we read, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. All of a sudden, they'd eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and all of a sudden they had an awareness that there were bad things and that they were bad. Whoa, something's wrong with us. We never noticed this before. But we're naked, which obviously is beyond just that, but it's an awareness that not all things are right in the world and not all things are right with me. And so they did what humans have always done. They tried to cover their sin. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This was their attempt to deal with their sin and their shame. Well, let's let's just cover our nakedness with these uh, fig leaves. And, you know, humanity, ever since then, we have tried to cover our Uh, sin and our shame. We've tried to deal with our sin in our own ways. Now, modern man, we do it this way. One one way we might do it is to say, uh, morality is a construct of man. There is no, there's no, truly, there's no such thing as right and wrong. That's just what we've been taught. And so if you can get beyond your, you know, the, your upbringing, you'll realize that you're, you know, that you're not doing anything really wrong. And so get just get beyond that. So you don't need to feel naked if you realize there is no nakedness. Or people will try to cover up their sinfulness with good works. You know what? My goal is to just do enough good things that they outweigh the bad. And, you know, okay. That's how how I'll cover my nakedness. Or it's, well, I'll just compare myself to other people. As long as I'm better than the majority of people, then I won't have to. Uh, be ashamed. I won't have to see myself as naked. Or, of course, religiosity, right? 
and so humans have created all kinds of religions, and we come up with our own uh, religious rituals on if we, uh, you know, do the five pillars of Islam or follow the path of Buddha, you know, this will help us uh, become clean again, and we don't have to feel uh, naked and ashamed. Now, Adam and Eve, they, they might have fooled each other for a moment, and they might have looked at the fig leaves and said, okay, your nakedness is clothed. And so sometimes we fool each other and fool ourselves even to thinking that we've dealt with our sinfulness. Uh, we don't have anything to be ashamed of. But that charade falls apart whenever we encounter the true and living God. We read in verse 8 of chapter 3, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? That suggests to us that normally when God showed up, they would run out to meet him, right? Hey, where, where are you? And he said, Adam, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Isn't that interesting? They had clothed themselves with fig leaves, but when he was face to face with God, he felt naked. All that humans do to deal with their sinfulness, when you are before the living and true God, uh, it doesn't do anything. And you, you feel your your nakedness and your shame and your sinfulness. And that will be, uh, that will be the, the um, reality for every human. In our text today, it says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. We're going to stand before God, and we're going to give an account of ourselves to him. And the Bible says, uh, for there is none righteous, no, not one. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we're all going to have our, uh, apart from Jesus, we're all going to have our, our moment of, Fear in the presence of God and uh, awareness of our nakedness, our sinfulness. Well, what did the Lord do? Chapter 3, verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Animal skins, fig leaves, weren't doing anything. For an, By the way, at this point, we're not aware of any animals or any humans dying, so... This is probably the first death of an animal. And here begins, animals have to die because humans sin. And here is uh, the blood covering. So God makes Adam and, Eve, uh, Adam and Eve garments of skin, animal skins. An animal has to die. But that doesn't uh, remedy everything. In fact, we continue to read in verse 24, he drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve are, are pushed out of the presence of the Lord. And so there's just been this tremendous loss. I mean, we're only a couple pages into the Bible, and uh, the glorious creation, you know, what we had has been lost because of sin. And the rest of the story, the rest of the Bible, of course, is about God's wonderful plan through his son Jesus to restore what has been lost. Now, in the intervening, the next, you know, hundreds of years, we don't know much about that. The Bible doesn't tell us that much. 
There were some people, uh, Abel and Noah and Enoch and Job, who uh, apparently were righteous and pleased the Lord and had a relationship with him. Uh, It appears that there was a sacrificial system going on. There's Melchizedek. But we really don't know much about that period. But then came Abraham and Moses. And with Moses, religion on earth took a massive leap forward. A giant leap forward. And and so now let's turn to Hebrews chapter 9. So now we're in our text today. Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. So here I think he's saying, look, with the first covenant, the covenant that God made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and, and then it was Moses bringing the law, and the Levitical priests, and the tabernacle, uh, which became the temple, and the sacrificial system, uh, with that there was a giant leap forward uh, in religion on earth. Because now humans who wanted to relate to God, had if you wanted to worship God, he had given us uh, regulations for worship. You knew you could worship God in a way that he received and he honored and respected. That's a huge jump forward. There's an earthly place of holiness. There's a place you can go where God's presence resides and you can, uh, you can sacri- make sacrifices for your sins and, and uh, God's, God's presence can be mediated to you through the uh, Levitical priests. This is huge. But it didn't, it didn't fully restore what had been lost at the fall. Now let's take a moment and, and talk a little bit about this tabernacle because that's what uh, Hebrews, uh, the next number of verses, um, deal with. So the tabernacle, um, it had an outer court. We've got a picture here. Yeah, it had an outer court, and this is where the people could come and you could interact with the priest and you could bring, bring your sacrifices and your bulls and your goats and make sin offerings. But then there was a, a tent, and into the tent... Only the priests could go. And uh, that tent had two rooms. And so there was the holy place, and then there was the holy of holies. And into the holy place, priests could go every day and minister, but nobody other than a priest. But into the holy of holies, only one priest could go one time a year and under some very strict uh, guidelines. In fact, if he didn't do it right... He might die. They tied a a rope around his ankle in case he uh, died so he could pull him out. And so um, there had been a giant step forward, a huge step forward in religion, but it had not restored everything that was lost in the fall. Uh, First off, Adam and Eve, they used to walk in the garden face-to-face with God. Now, God, your relationship with God is always mediated. You're always one step removed. There's always a priest between you and God. And even if you're a priest, there's the Holy of Holies that you can't get into, except maybe once in your lifetime. So the relationship with God has, you know, it's it's better than it was, but it has not been fully restored. And same with the, same with uh, sin. Because one thing we read in uh, chapter 10, verse 4 is this. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. All they did was cover so that we felt a little less 
shameful and so that God, you know, wouldn't strike us dead immediately when we were uh, in his presence. Chapter 9, verse 8, we read this. According to this arrangement, the uh, first covenant, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. The new covenant could not perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Chapter 10, verse 11, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. I mowed my lawn yesterday, and and all of a sudden I thought, Aha! (laughs) Uh, There's a parallel here. Uh, I can spend hours mowing my lawn and plucking out the chickweed and uh, doing the weed whacking, right? And it might look, good, might look good for a moment, but what happens two weeks later? I don't care how hard you work, the chickweed is back, and the grass is growing, and, and, and it just, ah! Well, so it was with uh, the offerings. Your sins were not taken away as far as the east is from the west. They weren't forgiven. They were just sort of covered for the moment, but you kept having to come back. At a minimum, once a year, you had to come back to to, uh, make sacrifices for your family. And so you were constantly reminded, I am sinful, and I am separated from God, and animals keep having to die because of what I've done. I am naked and ashamed. Verse 11 of chapter 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, there's been a change. There's been another giant leap forward. And it's been a leap into absolute perfection. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So first off, we learn that the earthly tabernacle is merely a replica of the true heavenly tabernacle, where God himself dwells. And so Jesus, the high priest of the new covenant, he didn't go into the earthly replica. He went into heaven itself, into the very presence of God. And he offered there not a sacrifice of bulls and goats. He offered himself through his death upon the cross. A once for all sacrifice that didn't just cover sins, but it took the sins away because this was the sacrifice of the Son of God in flesh. A human who died for humans, God who died for us. By his stripes we are healed, the Bible says. And so we read in chapter 10, verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. When you sit down, you're done. I've done my work waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. 
Jesus's atoning work, his sacrificial work, it's over, it's done, it's completed. It was once for all, and now he's waiting to return again in victory to take uh, control and, uh, and dominion on this earth. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So Jesus' death upon the cross, Jesus restored uh, everything that sin had stolen. Oh, this is awesome. I mean, if today's message does not excite the Christian, uh, I don't know, oh boy, we're just pretty unexcitable. But Jesus has restored what sin stole. And in Jesus Christ, uh, everything that God created for us, all that he intended for us from the beginning, we get it back. Now, uh, ultimately, it's restored when we rise again from the dead and Christ returns and, and becomes the ruler on earth uh, and over all the universe, and sin and death are destroyed. But even now, when you are in Christ, you enter into all that, and it becomes your sure inheritance. Let me uh, sit a little bit on verse 14. For by a single offering, that's his, the offering of himself upon the cross. Jesus willingly went to the cross. Remember he said, nobody takes my life from me. The Romans thought and the Jews thought that they had triumphed over uh, Jesus, but they didn't. He willingly laid his life down. By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, I used to think that this verse meant that, I, I used to think this verse was talking about our positional, our position before God is we are fully righteous, but then we are becoming, we're being sanctified, we're becoming in actuality day by day more like Jesus. And that's a possible interpretation. But the more I read and, and, and study, there seems to be a consensus that what it's saying is, let me give an illustration, waterfall, that uh, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It's like we're, it's like we're under the waterfall of Christ's uh, blood, his cleansing, atoning sacrifice. And so we've been washed clean, but we are constantly washed clean. And so if you're under a waterfall and somebody throws a big clump of mud at you, how long is it going to stay on your body? Poof, it just comes right off. And so this, it's not, we don't just get forgiven for the sins that we've done and boy, I hope you live a better life here on. Here on. You're, you live your life under the waterfall of Christ's atoning work. You are constantly being sanctified, constantly, NIV says, being made holy. You're constantly being um, cleansed. This is, isn't this awesome? And so, Christian, if you have repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, this is the truth about you. You are right now cleansed, and, and you will be cleansed tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. And you're, maybe you're thinking to yourself, but Mike, you don't, ha you don't know what I've done. You don't know how far I've run, how long I have shaken the fist at God. Even after a Christian, you can't believe some of the decisions I made. But here's what the Bible says. 
The blood of the Son of God is sufficient payment for your sin. And actually, if you think your sin is too bad for God to forgive based on the death of Jesus Christ, you have elevated the importance of your sin and way diminished Christ. Right? And sometimes uh, an unwillingness to be forgiven is pride. God can't forgive my sin. It's pretty, ah, it's pretty huge. Really? I mean, of course, we won't think about that, but it's really, it's proud. Whereas God says, the death of my son, I receive that as sufficient payment for not just your worst, baddest sin, but the sins, it is sufficient payment for the sins of the whole world. Now, only those who repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ benefit from the sacrifice of Christ, but it is sufficient in the eyes of God for the sins of the whole world. Verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, and now he quotes the prophet Jeremiah, who had foretold the coming of the new covenant many years before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I'll put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, so this is what God says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. Why don't Christians continue to uh, sacrifice animals? It's because we're no longer sinful. Where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offerings for sin. We don't need to make sacrifice of animals because we don't have anything to be forgiven for. Why? Because we're under the waterfall of Christ's atonement. The blood of Christ constantly cleansing us. We don't have anything that we need forgiven for. It has been forgiven. Here's the big challenge for today. Here's what I want you to um, own and enter into. God says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. What sin have you committed that you are remembering? That God says, I don't remember that. God chooses to uh, it is forgiven. He doesn't remember it. That's not the way he thinks about you. And so why, follower of Jesus Christ, are you choosing to remember that sin and allow the evil one to condemn you when he doesn't have a leg to stand on? And so if you wouldn't mind just uh, closing your eyes and uh, just be introspective here. What sin... Do you remember that God says, I've forgotten it, and I want you to forget it? And when you forget that sin, you honor my son Jesus Christ's sacrifice. When you forget that sin, you say, Jesus, your death on the cross is sufficient payment for my sin. I honor your death by forgetting this sin just like the Father has. I honor you by choosing to walk in forgiveness. I honor you by choosing to form a new understanding of myself, a new identity 
I am forgiven. I am pure. I am naked and unashamed. God wants you to have that identity because he knows that that's the identity. When he shows up, you run to him and say, hey, let's hang out. But as long as the evil one can keep you from this glorious truth and keep you believing that you are still sinful, you will flee from God, you will be afraid of God, and you will not enjoy the relationship that he wants you to have through his son, Jesus Christ.